So you may say in your heart, what's going on in this season, Lord? What are you doing in your body? It seems as though aspects have been left behind. And as we've seen in the days of old, we say, what about those days, Lord? They were so great. They were so spectacular. They were so miraculous. Oh, I say... Don't marvel and look to the past days. Don't look to them and say, oh, I wish we could have them again. For what I am calling my body, my church to, in this stage and in this season is much greater than that which lays behind. So as you look forward, press on with purpose, press on with passion, and press on after my heart and after my spirit, and I will bring you into a place which you will look and say, ha, huh, how have I never known about this place? How have I never seen these things? Ah, but as the rivers of my spirit flow, and as you get in and you move with them, you don't stay in the same place. You don't stay where you've been, but I will move you down effortlessly down the streams of my spirit and you will find yourself in a place oh that is much greater than those days what's much greater than what lies behind so you say what's happening in your body today oh great things great things for I am bringing my church into alignment and into order in these days and those who will not flow in the direction I am going will find themselves standing alone and say, what happened? Where did everyone go? No, no, no. These are the days of movement. These are the day to say, Lord, I will stand in my place. I will be where you have called me to be. I will be doing what you have asked me to do. Ah, for there is your place of grace. There is your place of, for, for, of provision. Yes, Lord. Your place of provision, your place of joy, your place of satisfaction. It is not on the tried and tested ground you have known before. It's on the ground I'm calling you to. For where your foot is placed, that shall I give you. And as you move forward, you shall take ground. For my body, my body, it is waking up in this day. It is waking up in this day. Yes. And the end shall be much more glorious than the beginning. Thank you, Lord. It's all we thank you, Lord. Yes, so oh, we worship you. Yes. Oh, yes, so oh, we
so don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid as you see the things around in this world being shaken. For you are not on ground that can be shaken. You are founded on the rock of Jesus. You are founded on the rock of ages. And on that rock we shall stand. And while other things may be shaken and fall, that's okay. That's okay. You are safe in me. Hallelujah. We will not fear, Lord. We will not fear, Lord. We will not fear. Solid rock we stand, Lord. Jesus, Jesus. Yes, hallelujah. Oh, we praise you, Lord. We praise your name. We praise you. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Well, you may be seated. Thank you, Toph. Hallelujah. Jessica. Because of this whole time of worship, well, we've got some things to look forward to this week. We've got worship, um, a worship night on Good Friday here at 7 o'clock. Come and join us for a time of worship. It'll be so good to kick off Easter weekend. And on Monday, tomorrow night, we're coming and meeting for prayer. Pastor Wendy, she, she gets all fired up with some awesome scriptures to just kind of plant in our hearts and set us in a direction to pray. So it's a little bit of teaching time and um, a, a, some time to just pray and press in. So good things happening this week at Word Church, getting us ready for Easter weekend. Such exciting times. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jessica. Kids, you can take off to your classrooms. Go have fun, Miss Robin. Hallelujah. Well, how's everybody doing this morning? Welcome to church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's important to take those times. And just to worship God and wait upon Him. You know, if He hasn't been speaking to you, maybe slow down <laughs> and find out you're running in the right direction. Hallelujah. I told our leadership this morning as we were getting ready to prayer, I said, the guys, we're just going to take the pressure off. We're just going to do what, what we feel in our hearts to do. You know, there's always a plan in place. There's always things, songs that we put put together that we're going to sing there's a message to preach but uh, it's more important to hear what God's wanting to say in these days right hallelujah well we're going to continue on in our series this morning on I am not ignorant our series that was never meant to be a series but we're trucking right along and we're going to bring it to an end today I say that but who knows <laughs> I've got a different direction I'm planning on going so we'll see what happens next week but lest Satan should take advantage of us, we're not ignorant of his devices. Come on. He has to try and take advantage over you because he does not have the advantage, right? He does not have the power to overpower you unless you lay down your weapons, unless you lay down your strength, unless you lay down your authority. He has no power to overpower you. And so while the last few weeks we've been talking about, you know, different things that he likes to do, and the last two weeks in particular we've been talking about that we have the ability to become our own worst enemy and that we don't even need his input, we, we're pretty good at derailing ourselves. 
Come on, don't look so holy. I will say totally, totally, totally been there, done that, bought the t-shirt too many times. You know, we can often become our own worst enemy. But when it comes to not being ignorant of his devices and what he does, uh, most of us find ourselves in the place where we're often ignorant of our own devices. We're ignorant of the, our own tools that are in our toolbox, that have been given to us by the power of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus bought and paid for by his blood and by his work at the cross. We're often ignorant of what he's actually left us and what is available to you. And so when we're talking about not being ignorant of what the enemy is doing, don't be ignorant of who you are in Christ Jesus. As we mentioned last week, if we go back to Genesis, right in one of the first stories of Genesis, we have the story where Abe, Cain and Abel bring their sacrifices. And Abel brings a sacrifice of, of animals, and Cain brings a sacrifice of fruits and vegetables. And God says, no, this is the type of sacrifice I want and this is not. And so he rejects Cain's, and Cain gets mad, and he says to Cain, he says, why, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you, everyone say me, me. you should rule over it. And why is that? Because when God created man on this earth, he said, let him have dominion. Let him rule. And so Cain's place and his calling was to rule. And so anything that the enemy were to bring his way, his job was to rule over it. And anything the enemy tries to bring your way, your job is to rule over it. And so Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, he said, be sober or clear-minded, be vigilant, or watchful and consistent, he says, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. It says may. What does may mean in the context of that scripture? It means that not everyone is devourable. It means that he may try but he only has the power that you give him. And so unless you give him that place, he can't devour you. So when he says, whom he may, you can go ahead and say with me, you may not. <laughs> he says, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like, 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 come on, like a roaring lion which means he is not a lion. But why does he walk about like a roaring lion? Well, what, did this, what does Revelation say about Jesus? Because he is the lion of the tribe of Judah, which means he's trying to imitate the position that Jesus should have in our lives and the position that he's given to us. And for Jesus to hold, that he'd be the one, man, he's the lion that devours. Man, whatever stands in his way, it bows. Come on, don't we know that the lion is the king? It's the king of the jungle, the king on the savannah. The lion is the king, and just as Jesus is the king, that means his adversary is not. But he wants to be. And so he says, seeking whom he may devour, resist him. Steadfast 
in the faith, meaning he is resistible. And we don't do it in our strength, we do it by faith. In what God has said is available to us, and what uh, what are we able to do? But the rest of that verse is really interesting. It says, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Meaning he's trying on whoever he can. And when situations arise in your life, it's very easy for us to say, I'm the only one going through this. This is so happening to me. Oh, poor me, poor me, poor me. But what Peter tells us, he's like, no, you're not alone in this. That's a good thing. You know, in troubles, we like to try and isolate ourselves. Because we don't, first, we don't want people to know that we're going through a hard time. Because then they might think less of us. And so we isolate ourselves and we withdraw from community. We withdraw from being around brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, Proverbs says only a fool isolates himself. We are not foolish, right? It says gather together. And what happens when you're low, the book of Galatians says that you who are spiritual get around those who have fallen and lift them up. Come on. And so he says these are the same sufferings that the whole body around the world is experiencing. The enemy wants to get them off track so you're not alone, but guess what? You can resist him. Steadfast in faith. You know, we can look at the book of James in chapter 4. He says, but he gives more grace. Isn't that great? Just a, that's a great statement in itself. God gives more grace. So when you feel like you've run out of grace, you've run out of ability, you've run out of strength, God gives more grace. Come on. It says where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And so there's always more grace to overcome than there is sin or opposition or pressure to fail. He says God gives more grace, and therefore he says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When we submit ourselves under God and say, God, I know you've got this, you've got enough strength, and I'm going to go through, I'm coming out the other side. But you know when you say, no, I've got this, I can handle this, I can do this, I know what to do. That puts you in the position of the proud. And it says God resists the proud, but his advice is therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, did he say he might flee from you? Did he say sometimes he will? Come on, we need a little more feedback here. Did he say that he might flee from you? The answer was no. That means that any time you choose to resist, you win. Anytime. This time, next time, next year's time, 10 years' time, anytime you choose to resist, you win. And do you know what resist means? The word that's used here is not one that's like, I gotta fight, I gotta fight, I gotta fight. It just means to set yourself against. Nope. God, devil, I'm going with God, not you. As soon as you make that choice, that's enough resistance to make him flee. The decision to say yes to God was a decision to say no to him. And he flees. Come on. And so as we continue on this morning, I want to go back to Matthew chapter 16. Now, in the last two weeks, we've been looking at this story, but from the negative end of it. Remember, Jesus says to his disciples, 
We're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die, but it's okay. I'm going to rise up on the third day. It'll all be fine. And what did Peter do? That's not going to happen to you. It said that Peter rebuked Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He said, get behind me, Satan. You are, a, you are an offense to me. And he addressed the spirit and not Peter. Peter didn't know, recognize which way he was listening. But in the first part of that story, there's some great stuff that we really need to know. And in verse 15, Jesus says to his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell, or however you want to interpret it, will not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not prevail against the revelation that Peter just had. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're Peter. And on this revelation that you just had, that rock of revelation, I'm going to build my church, and hell can't prevail against it. The revelation of Jesus causes every knee to bow. It causes every name that is named, not only in this world, but that which is to come, to put its knee down and say, I yield, I yield to Jesus. And so the, the, the revelation of Jesus and his name and the use of his name should be strong in your mouth and on, in your life in this day. Because he said, it's upon that revelation I will build my church. And so even in this day, he is building his revelation, building his church on Jesus. Come on. Down that rock. We have to understand the imagery that's going on here in the, in the Greek. My friend Spiros, when I, last time I was over in Greece, he was explaining to me this passage. He's like, when Jesus said to Peter, he said, you are Peter. Peter means little rock. Peter is a rock. His name is Peter. He specifically called him Peter, where other times he called him Simon, son of Jonah. But in this time he said, Peter, you're a rock. But he says, on this rock, that rock of revelation of who Jesus is, that's the one I'm going to build my church. And when you look through the progression of the word that they use, you get to the root of rahos, which is not a little rock. It's a giant rock face. It's an edifice. And if you want to get a picture in your mind of what he's talking about, if you were to see pictures of the Acropolis in Athens, it's built on this giant outcropping of rock, and it's on the top. And so he's saying to Peter, yeah, you're a rock, Peter, but on this rock that can't be moved, that's the one I'm going to build my church on in this day. Okay. We're just priming the pump for what we're about to say next. So I hope you're ready. I hope you got, you're got, got with me this, so far to this point. He said, on, on, on that rock, I'm building my church. Now he's about to rock Peter's world with something that he has to say. You ready for this? Verse 19, and he said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth, will be bound in heaven 
and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What did he just say to Peter? I'm not going to do it for you. I give you the power to bind it here on earth and heaven will back you up. I give you the power to loose it here on earth and heaven will back you up. He didn't say, I've got the keys. He said, you got the keys. And this is where religion often goes wrong with it. We're saying, please help me, God. Please come now, right? I, I need you, I need you, I need you. And you do need him. But you also need to understand what he's given for you to do. And he will not do for you what he's told you to do for yourself. So in the last six months of, of 2021, we talked on the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you shall receive power, or dunamis, which is dynamite, mountain-moving, life-changing, transformation power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. But this morning, as we bring a close to this I Am Not Ignorant series, we need to talk about a different type of power that is just as important as Acts 1-8 power. And in Luke chapter 10 and verse 19, we'll read it first out of the King James Version. It says, Behold, or look at this. Fix your attention on this concept. I give unto you, everyone say me, power. Now this is not the same word that we have in Acts 1-8. It's not dynamite power. It's not mountain-moving power. It's the word exousia. And it says, I give you the exousia, or the power, to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall be by any means hurt you. That's a big statement. Nothing shall hurt you? What's he talking about here? He's not talking about you getting out there and playing with snakes. Let me try and step on this poisonous viper and see what happens. He, he's not saying, okay, why don't, you, why don't you play with some scorpions? No, that, that's not going to be fun. It's just like when Jesus said, these signs will follow you who believe. In my name, they'll cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. Uh, they'll take up serpents, and if they drink anything poisonous, they'll by no means hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. In the same way, he was not telling you to go play with snakes and drink poison. He's saying, my protective power will keep you if it happens. And here in Luke chapter 10 and verse 19, he's not talking about real snakes and scorpions. He's talking about the imagery that people attribute to the power of the enemy. And that his cohorts, his demons, and his followers, he says, I give you power over all of them. Over all the power of the enemy. Come on, we're talking about the enemy's devices. Here's one that you need to know about. He's got no power. You do. You've got the power. You've got everything that you need because he said, behold, I give you. He didn't say, I kept it. I give you that power. And so what is this power? What is this type of power that he is talking about here in Luke chapter 10? Well, if we go to the New King James, it's a little better rendering. Behold, I give you authority. I give you authority over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. I give you the authority. What is 
authority? That's a great question. I'm so glad you asked that. The word exousia, that is translated power or authority, means power of authority and influence. It means power to rule and to govern. You have power to influence situations in your life. Come on. You've got power to rule and govern here in your life. He wasn't talking to his disciples and saying, when you get to heaven, you'll have power and authority. He was talking about here on earth, you have power and authority over anything the enemy might try to throw at you. And at its heart, what authority is, it's delegated power and authority. And so when we talk about this subject of authority and power, you need to understand that it's not your strength. It's not your power. It's not authority that is inherent to you as a human being. It's delegated power and authority. Now, the classic example that we all use when we're preaching on authority is that if you've all seen a police officer, right, get out in the middle of traffic and start waving cars. You stop, you go by, you go this way, you go that way. I have a question for you. Can that police officer physically stop that car? Then why does it stop? Because of the authority that is behind the badge. That's been given to him. You know, that car might try to run him over, but you know what's happening? There's a hundred other officers then tracing you down. So people understand the power and the authority behind the badge, and it stops. And so you may say to yourself, well, I don't have the power and authority. No, but he's given you his. When the enemy looks at you, he sees, daughter of God, I better stop. Because if I take a run at them, I don't want him coming after me. Come on. Let's take a diff different picture of authority and power. We've all seen like a big excavator, right, with the big bucket arm. You get in the cab. You got a pedal. Turns the turret this way. Turns it that way. It's got the big tracks. You press the button. It goes forward goes back. You pull on one of the lever, the big arm comes out. The other one causes the bucket to go and it takes a big old scoop out of the earth and lifts up big old rocks. Do you know what your power looks like? But he didn't ask for your shovel. He asked for you to get in the excavator and move some earth. Come on. And so when you press the lever, come on. It's no longer the sweat of your brow going. It's the arm of the excavator, the arm of the spirit. Let's move that obstacle. Come on. I don't know what the power ratio difference is between you going and the excavator going, but I know it's a lot. <laughs> and even that a lot in that example is nothing compared to your power and God's power. And he said, here, take mine. The work of the enemy has nothing against you because it can't even 
hold a second against God. And so when he says, all authority, I give you that authority over all the power of the enemy, we have to understand how insignificant the enemy is in your life. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, if we're going to look at the scope of how far does this authority go, Jesus said, I give you, our, I, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we can read that, and you can say, well, Pastor Jordan, Jesus said all authority has been given unto him. Well, you have to understand what the disciples understood in that moment. There was precedent. There was precedent that we have to understand about. Now, I'm sure Joanne could tell you a lot more about precedent than I could with her law background. But when you go into a court case, if you have a precedent that says, this is how it is, you have something to reference. Okay, we're going to make our decision based upon how it's been applied in the past. And so you have to understand how Jesus has applied authority in the past with the direct people he's talking to, his disciples. Well, why don't we look at Luke chapter 9 and verse 1. And he called his 12 disciples together, and he gave them power, dunamis, or Holy Spirit, mountain-moving, situation-changing power, and authority, exousia, over all demons and to cure diseases. So he gave them both dunamis and exousia the same as you you've got dunamis and exousia and he says over all demons not some all and to cure diseases and he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick now they go they do what he asks them to do and they come back in verse 10 and it says the apostles when they had returned, told them all that they had done. Which means, when dunamis and exousia were given to them, an ordinary time was not what they had. Because they would have nothing to talk about when they came back. How did it go, guys? Well, you know, same old, same old. You know, it's been a, been a pretty easy-going week, Jesus. You know, you're just getting through the work day. You know, I'm so glad to be here with you now, Jesus. Come on. Yes. You don't have something to tell if nothing happened. So if he gave them power and authority, specifically over all demons and to cure diseases, that means something happened in those areas. And so you could say, well, well Pastor Jordan... That was the disciples. Those are like the holy 12. You know, God was wanting to use them as a, as a great example. Okay, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. I understand. I understand. What about Luke 10? After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also. And he sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. And so he begins to give them instructions and if we jump to verse 9, he says, And heal the sick there, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. 
So here we see two of the three things that he said to the 12 disciples. He said, go preach first and foremost. People can't hear if you don't tell them, right? Cast out all demons and cure the diseases. Here he just tells them, tell them the kingdom of God is near you and you know, heal the sick while you're out there. Say, well, okay, he didn't mention this, the demons or anything there. Well, how about when they came back? In verse 17, it says, the 70 returned with joy. Come on. Okay, okay. They returned with joy because something happened, just like with the first 12. They came back and told them what had done. These guys came back happy. And they said, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now, the interesting thing about the 70 is Jesus didn't have to tell them, I give you authority. He just said, go. He said, go. And how many times after Jesus' resurrection has he just said, just go? Come on. There's something to be said about the ministry of just show up. Come on. Just say, having a rough day? Can I pray for you? You look like you got a little bit of hitch in your step. You mind if I, you know, lay hands on your knee? Always get permission. <laughs> the Bible says, lay hands on no one suddenly. <laughs> Shunai, come on out. No. Get permission. You don't always have to make a big show of everything. Come on. But there's something to be said about the ministry of just show up. Just take a step. Go always begins with the little toes on your feet starting to wiggle and then go, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> you know? And sometimes that first step is a bit of a struggle in your flesh. But when you step, he meets you. So they returned with joy saying, God, the demons are even subject to us. Well, Jesus said nothing about the demons, but yet they, they, they still came out. For the 70. And Jesus said, guys, <laughs> it's not a surprise. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. It's like if, if the boss went, so much more the everyone else. And then he says, behold, I give you authority. Come on. He didn't even tell them about the authority until after they had already used it. <laughs> Come on. And so you can't say that he was giving it to them for a temporary time so that they could go and do because they had already done and then he just revealed what was at work. He said, behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all of the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. And the next verse is great. He says, nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Rather, rejoice because your names are written in heaven. He's like, that even, that's not even the big thing. If you're saved, that's the biggest thing you'll ever believe for. That's the biggest thing you'll ever do. Stepping from darkness into light. It's like, how can you not act like God? You're now in the kingdom of light. You're in the kingdom of the son of his love. You've been taken out of death and put into life. Come on. Light just shines through you as a prerequisite of who you are. Yeah. It just come out. You got to sling yourself with a lot of mud for the, for the light to stop shining through. It's natural for you. Yes. It's natural for you to shine like a light bulb yes. when you come into situations. Yes. It's natural for people to be like, 
I don't know why, but I just got to tell you this is what's going on. And you're like, I know exactly why you told me that. Because we're going to pray, and it's going to change. Come on. Woo. So, it's Jesus' power. He said, all authority has been given unto me. Go. What that meant to the disciples was what they'd already seen at work for the last three years. When he tells you to go, he goes with you. When he tells you he's got the power, what is he saying is, you've got the power. So, okay, here's the question. Here's the question. You ready for this? If it is Jesus' delegated power and authority, what is the reach of that power? What is the scope of it? What is the extent unto which it'll operate while you're here on this earth? Because he said all authority on heaven and in earth has been given unto me. Touching both places. Come on. Let's just say this for a second. There are things that you don't need to pray about that you need to speak to. Do you understand what I say when I, when I say that? Too many people are praying for healing rather than speaking healing in their body. You don't need to be healed. You need to tell your body to do what God already told it. To line up. Your body listens just as much as the kingdom of the enemy listens. There's things that we need to stop praying about and just say, this door will open in Jesus' name. Because the authority in heaven and in earth has been given to you. I just feel like we need to see that, say this, though. This wasn't part of my message. You don't have authority over other people. They have authority in their life. You can't make somebody do something they don't want to do. But what you can do is you can pray the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, open their eyes, please. So they can see. Soften their heart. Come on. You can pray for other people. That's an area you pray for. But you do not have the authority over the people. In your life, though, you have the authority. Over the work of the enemy, you have the authority. Okay, what is the reach of the power then? In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, we have Paul in the middle of one of his prayers. And what is he praying? He's saying, these are the things, guys, in Ephesus, I need your eyes to be opened to see. Okay? He's saying, God's going to give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of me. I want your eyes open to see these things. And in verse 19, one of the things he wants their eyes open to is, what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us, who believe. He wants your eyes opened to understand the greatness of the power that is toward us who believe. And that power that is flowing towards you, it says, according to the working of his mighty power. So the power that he wants you to understand that's flowing to you is the same power that he works in. And it says here in verse 20, which he worked in Christ. So you want, you want a frame of reference to the power? The power that is flowing to you is the power he used 
when he raised Jesus from the dead. That's the power that's flowing to you. Come on, we, we need to define these boundaries. As Christians, we think way too small. He wants your eyes to be opened to the exceeding greatness of his power that is flowing toward you who believe. Same power he worked in Christ. When he raised him from the dead and he set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also that which is to come. It's far above anything you could ever come in contact with on this earth. And he put all things under his feet. And he gave him to be head over all things to the church. So he's head over all things to the church. We're a church, right? We're, we're part of the global church. We're to, part of the local church. You're part of the church. So he's talking about you. Ethan, just go ahead and start muting lines until it goes away. He will put all things under his feet. And he gave him to be head over all things to the church. So if you're the church, he's the head. Okay, Toph, come here. I'll use you as an example. Not that one, Ethan. <laughs> Look here, we got a person. Where is his head? Right up here. Where is his body? Right here. Okay, so we're getting the picture, right? If Toph's head walked in that door, and his body walked in that door, we'd all freak out, right? Come on. And one thing that'd be pretty cool, because there's no feet up here. Where are the feet? The feet are down here. And so if all things are under Jesus' feet, and you are the body, the church, where's everything else for you? Under your feet. Come on, we have to understand the boundaries. We have to understand the scope. If he, everything's under his feet, everything's under your feet, because we don't have a freakish body that Jesus is in, right? We have a regular body. He's the head, we're the body. It's all under our feet. Thank you, Tove. So he's the head over all things to the church, which is his body, and the body is the fullness of him that fills all in all. It's not a slight bit of him, it's the fullness of him. We're talking about the scope of what's available to you because of the authority, right? It says, and he has raised us up and he's made us to sit together with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are sitting in that same place of power that that power that hit the grave put him. That's the power that's now at our disposal. It says, so that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Okay, so we've now talked about the scope and my arms just don't go big enough to encompass the idea of the power and the authority that's been given to you. So if we've answered, there you go, you got it, awesome guys. <laughs> if we understand the scope, we have to now answer a very, 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 very vital question. I understand now it feels like quiet after the hum's gone. Come on. If we now understand the scope, we have to ask a very vital question. If you have authority that's been given to you 
on this earth, how is it exercised? How do you use it? Come on, that's an important question in anything. If you've got like an awesome Ferrari in your driveway and you don't even know how to drive, what benefit is that to you, right? Come on. You need to know how to use what's been given unto you. We said we're not ignorant of the enemy's devices, but we don't also want to be ignorant of the tools at our disposal. So how is authority exercised? Well, let's look at Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 and verse 1. This is when he had concluded his, all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered into Capernaum, and a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and, all, and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. You know, Jesus didn't need their begging. Jesus is never moved by our begging. Do you know what moves Jesus? Compassion. And every time we see a situation, he never once says, no, I won't go. Which means whatever situation you're in, he's already moved with compassion and present. And so they said, you know, he's deserving. He, he loves our nation, and he has built us a synagogue and Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Now, Jesus didn't care whether he was worthy or not. He's already healed a bunch of people at this point who were so not worthy. But it didn't stop him. So your worthiness doesn't play into the situation. It's not part of the equation. You being you and the be existing and living, that's the only part that matters to him. He says, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. Therefore, I didn't even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. So here the centurion is saying, you don't even have to come. Just speak it, and it will be done. Why did the centurion understand that? Well, he says, For I also am a man placed under exousia. I also, which means he recognized that Jesus was operating in delegated power from God. Come on. He said, I understand the type of authority you have. He says, I have soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes. And another, come, and he comes. And to another servant, do this, and he does it. How is authority exercised? With your mouth. What have you said to the situation? If it's nothing, you have no power in it. But when you use your mouth in whichever direction, it moves that way. He just said, you don't even have to come, Jesus. Speak, and it'll be done. And when Jesus heard these things, he said, oh, no, you've got it all wrong, Mr. Centurion. 
That's not how it is at all. You have no ability to do that. No, no, no. He said when he heard these things, he marveled at him, and he turned around and he said to the crowd that followed him, he's like, come on, guys. You can just sense the excitement in Jesus. He marveled. He's like, come on, look at this. He said, I say to you, I have not found such great faith. Not even in Israel. So this excited Jesus' heart because someone finally got it. Come on. Is someone in the body of Christ today going to finally remember what he's actually said to us? If you speak it in a line with his word from his power, it will be done for you. And it says, And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick because exactly as he said just speak it Jesus you realize Jesus didn't even speak it <laughs> but he recognized that the centurion had the faith and the centurion's faith mattered more in the situation than Jesus's that's a, that's a your faith your words matter in the situation more than other people's and in a lot of topics and situations more than God's because he won't do what he's told you to do. He won't do what he's given your power to do. And so we're not ignorant of the enemy's devices, but I'm not going to be ignorant who I Jesus said, Behold, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy. He said, All authority has been given unto me. Go, therefore. Why don't you stand on your feet this morning? When we talk about things like this, it can take, be a lot to process and to think, and I was actually talking to Garnet about it this week. And he said that this was one of the topics that changed his life coming out of the denominational church. Understanding the power that has been given to us. The believer's authority. Now, this is just an introduction to the topic. There's so much more we could say. There's so many more things we could do with it. But in the coming months, we're walking into a season where what you say matters. And what you decide you're going to stand, let stand in your life, will determine whether the situation changes or whether it doesn't. And so I, I really highly recommend to you, get a hold of, if you don't already have it, Brother Hagin's book on the authority of the believer, the believer's authority. Sorry, get the title right so you don't look up the wrong book. The believer's authority. Because there are so many things that are right now standing at your door. It's standing at the door of the church that he's saying, I want the church to step forward. I want them to move forward. But he will never make us step. He will never make us move. And so this morning, if you need prayer for anything, the, prayer, the word care team is going to be right up here at the front. They would love to believe with you, receive with you, celebrate with you, whatever is needed. I'm, I'm not sure where we're, how we're going to end, so I'm just going to let you do it. How about you do that? <laughs> um, 
uh, Pastor Jordan already shared that I'm sharing the, the Easter message next uh, next Sunday. And the direction I've gotten so far in this, and uh, this started several days ago, is is to bring out the, uh, the our authority that was won to us through the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. So you know, next week when you come, just consider the fact that we're not just here celebrating a story. We're actually going to be celebrating an event that happened. Amen? Amen. Obviously, it is required of us to dwell in this and to get into the message of the believer's authority because of what the church is about to face. So you need to take this to heart. You need to just meditate on these things that you've heard today and what you're going to hear over the next few weeks as to, you know, what is expected of us. Amen? Because along, uh, with power comes responsibility. Right? And so you have a responsibility, we all have a responsibility in these days to be in the place of power and authority to be able to overcome anything that comes against us and that comes against the church and to get us into the place where we're going to be taken off out of here. Amen? Amen. Amen. Glory. Hallelujah. Well, it's offering time. You know, um, it says in Proverbs 4 that, you know, honor the Lord with your possessions and the first fruit of your increase. And then uh, God told uh, Samuel, he says, those who honor me, I will honor. So let's do that. Let's honor the Lord with our tithes and offerings this morning. Amen. And in turn, he will honor us. Hallelujah. And so if you want to give, you can give according to that thing. Because I never get the backslash, front slash thing straight. So just look at the screen there to that. Or you can just grab an envelope and do something with that. Amen? Amen. Glory be to God. And thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. You are so true to your word. And we honor you this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Have a blessed week. Amen.